This is the moment many wait for. The most entertaining. The man of wisdom. The man of experience, Dave. The most informative. To bring light to a dark subject. To bring positivity to a negative world. The incredible Paul Moyer. The incredible Paul Moyer. Look at that. I, I got to tell you. I'm excited to talk to him today. Apparently, Dave, not so much. But well, whenever I hear "incredible," I think like Mister Incredible, <laughs> the cartoon. That that's kind of what I picture with Paul. Well, he's got the little mask on. <laughs> that's what he's wearing right now. The red tights with the lightning <laughs> bolt in the front. What do you think, Paul? I'm, I'm okay. Can I have the royalties from that movie? Was that sure. the Incredibles? Are you talking about Mister Incredible? Yeah, that'd be good. I, I, I'm, oh, I don't, I would not look good in those tights, so. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Do they really look good on anybody? A man's got to know his limitations, right, Paul? <laughs> yeah, two things that don't look good on me: uh, tights and the color red. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, don't know. My, I, I never wear red. Well, Paul is is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, and it is always a pleasure to have you in here. Uh, we haven't had a chance to speak, obviously, since the Super Bowl. So, what was your what was your takeaway from a, a good game? I mean, tied thirty five thirty five going toward the end of the fourth quarter, and ends on a field goal. That's that's all I was looking. At. Compelling game, Paul. That's I was happy with it. Yeah, no question for. 58 minutes it was uh an unbelievable game and you know i really didn't i didn't think the best team won i thought philadelphia was a better team um it took you know a couple of big plays by kansas city and a couple of timely penalties and i'm not even talking about the last one that holding penalty there's a couple other penalties that i i thought cost uh uh, Philadelphia, at least one touchdown, maybe two. So, um, but you know, it'll be memorable, you know, it will be memorable, you know, that it came down to a final field goal or it'll be because of the holding call. That's, that's my only issue is, uh, I hate when a call is decided on a penalty that truly, you know, the game was over once that penalty was called. So, but, uh, yeah, I actually watched this one, uh, unlike the uh, AFC Championship game last week, or two weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, you end up watching him. It was just the next day. Or just something. later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Paul, if um, if he doesn't, Bradbury doesn't hold that receiver, it's a touchdown, right? I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think so. Because um, when I, you look at that play, I mean, it was a jailbreak. Um, the one thing I was impressed is how quick uh, Mahomes made a, a decision on that because he had a guy, two guys, just barreling down on him. And what he did was he goes, I'm going to throw it in the back of the end zone where nobody can get it, but maybe my guy, maybe. But mm-hmm. it was a whip route. Um, and, you know, the guy – the bummer is the guy who was covering him, the defensive back – he should have known. It was third and eight. He didn't need to even be that close on that whip route. You know, if anything, he should have gone over the top of it. Um, I don't think it would have been. I, I think I've heard you say you thought it was, and there's been some other guys who were former receivers that thought so too. But I thought he threw it. I don't think he was the primary guy on the route. Um, and that's the only thing I go is technically was it hold? No question. Um, but in that situation, man, to me, you got to really earn it, man. You got to battle. And I just felt like they, they gave it to him on a game where Kansas city had three penalties all game for 14 yards. And mm. there's probably about 12 holding calls in the game that I saw and went back and watched their offensive line. Would I have called them? No, but technically were they holding? Yep. 
Um, and so that's my only issue. And there's just the timing of it. A game like that, it's, you know, you got to really make it egregious in my, my opinion, but it is what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, let's see that, that would have made it what 42 35 if that's a touchdown if because uh, they won 38 35 yeah. and then you know you have philadelphia with i think there was like a minute 30 minute 40 would have probably been a minute 44 yeah something like that timeout you think uh do you think that they they drive the field the the eagles well, i don't know they didn't have any timeouts left you know that would have been tough to get seven on them but yeah. You know, with Brown, who I thought was a mismatch for Kansas City's um, DBs, who are very good, very physical, but a bit undersized, you know, I, you, you want to have an opportunity there. It would have been better, you're right, Dave, if they just got the touchdown. You know, at least you have a chance. And that's my issue is like, golly, a penalty, and then it's now a kneel down, and it just took all the, you know, excitement of that game away at that point. But I would like to have seen it. I mean, I thought it hurts. You know, I've seen him throughout the year, but that's the first time I watched him that close and on every play and went back and watched him again. Uh, he's very impressive. I mean, he makes really good decisions. Uh, you know, obviously his, his scrambling ability. Um, you know, he's he's better than I thought he was, and I thought he was pretty good going into the game. What What is your feeling about the defense in the second half of the Eagles? Because that's what we were talking about coming into this game. Like, man, this is – Chiefs have got their hands full with this Eagles defense. They lead the league in sacks. And then you look at the second half, Paul, four possessions for the Chiefs. Touchdown, 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 field goal. And they didn't get a single sack the entire game. You know, it was just, yeah, we can all focus on that one play that, that happened at the end of the game. But, man, that defense didn't didn't get it done in the second half. No, for for sure from a drive standpoint, but it it wasn't throwing that beat them. I mean, they had 180 yards throwing or whatever it was. It was under 200 yards. It was the the rushing, and I thought the rushing part that hurt him the most was Mahomes scrambling. He had over 40 yards scrambling, I think, on seven attempts, and those were mostly obviously you know busting you know uh, when he was back to pass and and trying to uh, break through the line, which he did. Yeah, I thought Kansas City did a good job protecting, but. I, I mean, there was pressure uh, often, uh, but uh, to give Andy Reid credit, man, I thought they had a really good running game game plan, and they got after him, and they were quick, and you know they definitely kept Philadelphia off balance. But if you go and watch who controlled the two sides of the ball, man, Philadelphia is really good. They should have won that game. They should have been up twenty-eight to seven if, if the refs just keep their flags in their pocket on anything that wasn't egregious early on. Uh, if they don't have that crazy fumble uh, that should have been a first down to play before with the ref screwed up as well. So just to go back to that, that there was third down and one, the ref was holding the play up and Philadelphia was going to come and do their kind of scrum, you know, rugby style first down, push the quarterback in the back for it, which they got. But because the ref was so late leaving the left guard, was late getting up to the line of scrimmage, and so they called a legal procedure on that. Not, instead of it being a first down, in you know around the forty yard line, I guess at that point uh, in Kansas City's territory. Now it's third and six. It's backed up to around the fifty yard line, and he fumbles the ball on that play. I said, just the two plays no one's talking about. Those they were huge plays, you know. Instead of them going up twenty-one to seven, now it's fourteen fourteen. Um, so again, I I thought Philadelphia. When you just watch the game statistically, they they were the better team. It's just 
big plays. We all know about it. You know, you turn the ball over, you have a huge punt return. that was essentially a touchdown. You know, you're talking about a 21 or a 14 point swing on that fumble touchdown. That punt returns another seven. Uh, it's hard to beat a team, even if you're probably a little bit better when those things happen. Hey, Paul, what do you think um, Dave Canales leaving uh, is going to do with, let, let's assume that, that Gino's going to come back uh, in, in both scenarios if he doesn't, but how much do you, how much of a factor do you think he was last year with Gino? Well, I think it's a factor anytime an assistant coach leaves where he had success um, with a certain position group. Um, and it, it's not necessarily it's going to be a philosophy change, you know, an X and O change. You know, you, you obviously, you know, he wasn't the offensive coordinator on that, but it is on, you know, style and what's acceptable. Maybe how he throws an out route or a seam route or just the communication throughout the week. I mean, the quarterbacks spend a, an enormous amount of time with their their uh position coaches and the offensive coordinator. So I, you know, it just depends on who comes in, but don't expect it to be not a factor at all. Uh, it will be, you know, I mean, you get, there's a trust factor to it. I, I remember when I, I had a, a secondary coach, you know, Ralph Hawkins, and he left to become defensive coordinator for the jets. And then they brought in um, uh, Pete Perry um, to be our, our secondary coach. And then, uh, Joe Vitt became more of the safety coach. You know, it was a change. Now, for me, it was a change kind of for the better with Joe Vitt, but, you know, Rod Perry ended up benching me. <laughs> so, mm. you know, he whether that was his decision or, you know, came from the head coach, um, you know, I was hurt. I wasn't playing as well in, 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 uh, in training camp and stuff. But it's, it's a factor. Um, again, again I, I think they're going to get the right guy to communicate with everything. But, yeah, I, I hated losing that, a guy like him because he's obviously just proved he's an offensive coordinator. He went and interviewed, and they thought enough of him with that. So you just lost a really good mind on top of that. Hey, uh, just back to the Super Bowl for a minute. In, in walking away and sort of digesting what you saw does that impact what you think the priorities should be for the Seahawks as we approach this draft? Oh man, I yes, it does. Um, after playing San Francisco three times, after playing Kansas City, after watching Kansas City and Philadelphia, man, the one thing those three teams have in common—they have really good offensive and defensive lines, and to dominant. I mean, they're, they're men, um, you know, we're going to become men, but you know, Charles cross is still a young man. Right. And, and in a couple of years, he's going to fill out and you're going to look at him and go, Whoa, uh, he's completely different. But yes, uh, I think, you know, you can pick up running backs and, and skill position guys in the, in the second and third round, but those big guys are, they're just not enough of them out there. And they're hard to find, as you know, and yes, I, I think for us to compete, we're going to have to load up there, and and I and I think you got to protect the middle of the field on both sides of the ball now. Um, you know that it means you know that center guard position is is critical to me um, for sure. Whoever's our nose and and the tackles, they've got to be dominant. We've got to be able to get gut pressure on there, keep guys double teamed at all times so linebackers can be freed up. And you go watch those two teams. They have skill position. Don't get me wrong. They do. But that's not why they're that good. The reason why they're that good is both sides of the line. I'm glad you brought up Ralph Hawkins. Grandpa Munster. 
is what I yeah. used to call him. And I'm looking at pictures online, and there's no old pictures of him because I really wanted people to see how much he looked like Grandpa Monster. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. I'll tell you uh, what, though. He was he was a heck of a coach, Dave. I yeah. mean, he was a little quirky, and you yeah. know, he was old school. But, wow, he was really smart. And to this day, um, from an X and O teaching how to, you know, uh, run defenses, you know, just a three on two concept with, you know, safeties, linebackers and corners on receivers and tight ends, excuse me, and running backs, man, I'm telling you, his, his scheme, uh, you know, we had what's so a 63 turnovers in 1984 and 37. Yeah. Uh, and he was Amazing. a huge reason for that. Um, you know, as far as fundamentally, yeah, he was still pretty good. I mean, he was he was very good. His communication skills with uh, everybody could be a little off wire at times, um, but yeah, he was uh, he was a really smart coach. Hey. I remember one time Bosworth stole his lunch, and he was really <clears throat> mad. Like he was like super mad. Ralph Hawkins. He was going to inflict some damage. Boz huh? thought it was really funny. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Bob. Hey, yeah, uh, well. The- Go ahead. Sorry, you guys. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask you about Eric Bieniemy, and and he's such a big talking point. It feels like what for the past three, four off seasons, it feels like, and you know, to this point, he still hasn't been been given that job. He's interviewed a bunch of times. He's always in the at the forefront of that conversation. Yet people are saying, well, he, you know, because we were talking about, it, he's apparently going to talk to the commanders about their offensive coordinator job. And Dave and I were talking about going, why in the hell would you go to Washington? That organization (laughs) seems beyond dysfunctional. Daniel Snyder seems like the worst person to work for. And you're with the Super Bowl champs. And, you you know, you but people talk about, well, he doesn't get the leeway he would get in Washington in Kansas City. And everybody thinks Andy's the reason that they're winning and he doesn't get his due. I feel like he gets his due, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Do you feel like he doesn't get the credit that he is living in Andy's shadow and Patrick Mahomes' shadow and wants to maybe go out on his own and show that, yeah, it's not them, it's me? Or what? I guess how would you explain even entertaining an offer from Washington for the same yeah, job? I, well, I, I think part of it is what what is your career goal? I mean, if he wants to be a head coach, it sounds like teams are saying – we want to see you do this on your own. And and he's been interviewed by so many people. Uh, and I, I tell people all the time, you know, not everybody is got that it factor to be a head coach. And there's an it factor when you walk in. Um, I, I don't know if he interviews poorly. I don't know if he, he struggles on the board in tough situations. I have no idea what it is, but it's something because he's not – getting the the call for it and it's okay i mean not everybody's meant to be a head coach and we're not in all those interview processes and sometimes people say hey we need you to go up your resume we need you to actually be the lead guy making those decisions in crunch time how do you respond to that and if andy's the one who's doing it all and it sounds like he is um that doesn't mean that the enemy's not a good coach and he's not valued there Uh, It's like any position, Um, but I think most teams look at him as a position coach and you don't usually see position coaches jump all the way to a head coach. And even in that part, sometimes they just don't have the it factor. You're, You're asking somebody to be the face of your organization, to be the leader. How do you deal with discipline? All those things. And none of us are in that. And, 
I, you know, I feel bad for a guy who always wants an opportunity and, you know, they've won and he's, he's done that part of it, but there's something going on. And if he doesn't get this offensive coordinatorship job at Washington, then, then there's something else going on. Um, and I don't know what it is, but um, I've always told everybody, I said, most owners and general managers, they want to find the best people, the best. And if he, they think he is a guy who can help them win games, you know, they're going to hire him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, not everybody's just built for that. So, but it does seem like he, he maybe he wants to. You know, uh, Mark Schler told us a story about Gary Kubiak, and I knew Gary pretty well. We hung out quite a bit, and, uh, you know, he was kind of spacey. And he wasn't very polished, and I, I think that was one of the things that, you know, he got coached up finally to to, to be more professional in these meetings and stuff like that. So, um, hey, who do you think is the favorite, Paul, uh, coming back next year? Who's uh, who's the favorite to win the Super Bowl in the NFL? Well, that's an interesting question because everybody's picked Kansas City, at least all the odds and and stuff. And if if you go watch Kansas City. Uh, they're good. I mean, they are good. They're a very good team. They were 14 and three during the regular season. They won a, probably two games that they, I thought Cincinnati was better. Philadelphia is better. And they still found a way to win. And you had Mahomes who was with a high ankle sprain, but man, you just don't know. And it, it's so hard to play that many games and guys start breaking down. Um, if Philadelphia can keep, all their guys, which it doesn't look like they're going to be able to, but if they could, I would say them. I, to me, they're the most talented team right now on both sides of the ball. If San Francisco had a quarterback, I think you'd have to throw them out there right now too. Um, but right now, I don't think they have a quarterback. Uh, you know, We'll see what happens with Purdy and his elbow, but I really don't think he's the guy who's going to lead them to the promised land. I think he's a great serviceable guy. We saw that uh this year and he can win games when you play great defense and all that stuff but at some point you've got to go win games um and i don't think he's going to be that guy so i my my guess my take on this dave man it's wide open next year Hmm. and you know with the salary cap you got to look at that you got to look at the draft you got to look at how many people have these young guys and what their next step is going to be um you know i'm not throwing the seahawks name in the hat you can ask john here coming up um quite yet, you know, just on pure talent. But I, I think it's an, an, an open book next year. And, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with this draft coming up. Any any fear or apprehension on your part they don't get something done with Gino? How are you feeling about that? Well, I'll be listening at 4 o'clock to see how you guys frame that with <laughs> John Schneider. <laughs> um I I don't have fear because I think this is the best place for him, and I think he's the best for us. We know what he he's capable of doing, and you know we saw it. He was very consistent last year, and I really believe we can shore up just a little bit up the middle, just to give him a little more time because he is a guy that steps up in the pocket if you let him. Um, he, he's not as good throwing off his back foot foot when there's pressure uh, up the gut. Um, I don't know if fear is the right word. Um, I think it's going to get done. If it doesn't, you know, there's another quarterback we'll find. Uh, so I have confidence we will have a quarterback next year. It gives us a chance to win. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, if he holds out for, you know, 45, somebody offers him, you know, 45, $50 million, I, you know, I'd 
and it could happen, but I, I, I think he ends up back here. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Have you seen any of the the stuff that he's tweeted? And I'm not. I have no idea how much they pay attention to that. And he he recently said something about uh, that he could be an offensive coordinator at any level right now. Right now, mm-hmm. uh, some of that stuff. It, it's kind of odd. I don't know if one goes with the other. Or, you know, if that's being maybe he tweets those things all the time. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's it's. Have you paid any attention to that? And read anything? Well, I've listened to some of it. Most of it, the stuff he said lately, to me, was positive. Right? Um, That one, I didn't see his tweet, but I think what he's saying is, I've been in this league a long time. I'm really smart. I've been around some unbelievable coordinators. I have been behind three, two for sure. Well, maybe one for sure, Hall of Fame quarterback, and and then you have uh, you know the other Manning and Russell Wilson. But you know, let's just say three potential Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So I think he's seen it all. Um, he's also been in a role where he's had to to prepare like he's not a starter, right? So you're you're almost a coordinator there. You're working with the quarterback all the time, giving him feedback. So I think he's just saying, I'm a really smart guy, and uh, you know, it doesn't matter who's around me. You know, I'll, I'll get it done. Hey, uh, just a quick thought on the uh, on the world of golf. You got the Genesis yeah. Invitational going on, and and Tiger Woods is playing now. We know he's not the same version of Tiger we all you know grew to know and love, and and look forward to watching every week. But does does that get you excited just to know? Hey, this guy's back out there on the course. I love it. I mean, I, I you know was watching. I'm actually watching here in my office uh, on a computer. Uh, his swing looks really good. Um, he's limping a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's to be expected. His short game is just off a, a little. Uh, so he's, he's even par right now, but yeah, I look, he's good for golf. Uh, I, every time he's there, the players love him and I don't care even how he plays. I just wanted to make the cut, but yes, it makes it a lot more exciting for me as a diehard golfing fan. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. That was I would pay attention every week. I would watch when he was playing. I was it was appointment television. It was I remember those conversations. Do you take Tiger or do you take the field? And it was like a legit <laughs> it was a legit decision. Like, mm, man, I don't know if I take everybody else or I think I'm going with Tiger. <laughs> that was I mean, I just they haven't found anything close to him since. You know, and they it's unfair for, you know, Rory McElroy or or Jordan Spieth or any of these other people they want to anoint as the next guy because He's not there right now. The next guy isn't there. That's a generational figure that that had the impact that Tiger had that I I don't know that you're going to see, maybe, maybe not in our lifetime. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you'll see it in a lifetime. Two reasons why. He was so far ahead of the game just with his athletic ability and then his workout ability. He was the first guy that really took to weights and working out, and he was driven by it. Two, because of the way the game is now, there's not going to be longevity anymore. The, the risk, the injuries, the torque they put on their backs, you know, and that's the, the, downs, the downfall with Tigers. You know, all those back injuries, you know, really set him back. So we will never see something like Tiger for that long. We might see it in little spurts like McElroy for three or four years or John Rom for three or four years. But, nope, uh, Tiger is – we won't see that again. Paul, always a pleasure. I always look forward to it, and I try to talk Dave into being excited, too, but, you know. (laughs) Dave, your wife will be at my house tonight, so if you're you're bored, let me know. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I will. I will. And I already I've heard everything Paul has to say. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> None of this right. is new. <laughs> no, no. I'm always excited every week, every week. <laughs> we appreciate, right, appreciate you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. All right, you guys, have a great night. Thank you. See, see yeah, There you go. There's Paul Moyer. With I know us. everything he thinks. Paul. Yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you know somebody for 35 years. Yeah, I know yeah. what he's going to say. He's saying the same thing to me. Oh, geez. <laughs> Listen to Wyman. Sounds like when he was a rookie. Yeah, I've heard this story before. Uh, but if you missed any of Paul today, which is great stuff each and every week, head to the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Click the podcast tab and click on our picture, and it's right there waiting for you. Coming up, Mariners pitchers have added some new pitches this offseason. We'll get the latest on that. Coming up with Wyman and Bob live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center, this is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We continue live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It is Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports Station on 710. Coming up at 4 o'clock, the debut of the John Schneider Show, which is exactly the reason we are here at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. So make sure you tune in for that. He will be with us every single Thursday at 4 o'clock until the uh, first night of the draft. So we've got about 10 weeks to really get up close and personal with John Schneider. And I'm pretty sure... By that tenth week, will be the three best friends that anybody's ever had. <laughs> I think he, he could tell you what movie that's from. Uh, well, we're going to test his knowledge. We're going to we're mm-hmm. going to we're going to have all kinds of great conversations with John. So we're looking forward to that. Make sure you tune in for that. But uh, Jerry Depoto on with Brock and Salk talking about a few different things uh, as it pertains to the pitching staff. And I, they, they asked him about the comment that that our guy from uh, uh, Driveline Baseball. I'm, I'm blanking on his name, Lefko. Chris Langan. Uh, I was going to say Dan Roach. <laughs> that just becomes your, your default answer. Like that's the Kentucky guy you made up. Dan Lo- Loach. Yeah, I made a guy up. It's, like, I I think it's Tom Leach. Oh, yeah, Dan Roach. Okay. Dan Roach, you make that up. You're making up storylines for Bosworth movies. It's yeah, yeah. Crazy. Lots of stuff going on inside my head. If you were to, like, uh, cut the top of my head off, there's, like, a roller coaster, a merry-go-round. There's a water fountain. There's a bouncy house. A volcano. Uh, footballs. Yeah. yeah it would... uh, what but, was the guy's name again? Chris Langan. Chris Langan. I remember him. Remember him well. Uh, anyway, so he made the comment about Matt Brash and his slider being maybe the best pitch he's seen in, in I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing, but in Major League Baseball history. We're all going, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Well, they they, uh, they had Jerry on this morning and asked him about that. Here's what he said. You know, history's a long time. <laughs> and I, I, my, my first reaction is it's, it's pretty damn good. And I jokingly, we, we said this spring we are going to lean into the, the Matt Brash has the greatest pitch in Major League history theme uh, because we did get that from yesterday. And when you're watching it live, your reaction is how can it be any nastier than it is? And, you know, and I, I say that, and there have been a lot of nasty pitches in Major League history. You know, some by Mariners, you know, Felix's changeup or Randy Johnson's slider. But Matt Brass's stuff, I won't even really limit it just to his slider. It, his stuff is, is on that tier. It's just nasty, nasty stuff. Yeah, he's like a history's a long time. That's a perfect answer. And, and uh, you know, boy, Chris Langan making making headlines. Tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> getting a lot of attention out there. And, and we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what it looks like. I don't, you know, 
history seems a bit of hyperbole, but it is ridiculous. And you've had guys that have made careers on on a singular pitch. You needn't look any further than the greatest closer in the history of the game, Mariano Rivera. He threw one pitch. He threw a cutter. And you saw how successful that was. Well, and, you know, it just... um it just makes you think like how I would like to I don't really know what it's like to stand in obviously uh, that would be kind of a cool thing for a media person to do just stand there to stand in and like you're a batter and watch yeah like a pitch like that come in a Robbie Ray fastball or Luis Castillo whatever just to gain an appreciation of how you would have to start for me I would have to start swinging as soon as he went into his windup yeah <laughs> it's a I, who would you want to stand in there against? I'd, I'd choose Marco first. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> well, if he lost control, I think it would hurt less than if we were in there against uh, Munoz. I want to see this Matt Brash slider. Holy yeah. moly. I see mean, what it, see the, just what does it look like from that perspective? Yeah. Yeah. So and you probably wouldn't have an appreciation of, of it as much if, unless you're a big league hitter because you know all the other pitches and where that that comes in and where it ranks and everything. But, yeah, that's pretty interesting that uh, everybody kind of caught on to that, because at the time, you know, sometimes you ask a question and then, you're you know, you listen to the answer. And most of the time you get kind of, eh, you know, you get lulled to sleep. And all of a sudden I heard Major League Baseball history. What? <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's quite a statement, and obviously it caught their ears. So, you know, no pressure, Matt Brash. Just continue with the greatest pitch that's ever been seen in baseball history out he's, there. He's going to go to Lang and go, "Thanks a lot, man." What are you now doing? I got to live up, live up to that. But yeah, what if somebody hit? What if somebody just squares one up? He's like, "Yeah, greatest pitch, huh?" It's in center field bleachers right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Brash is very interesting uh, character to me because I don't, I can't really get like a bead on his his personality, and he sort of always, which is I think is a good thing. He sort of always looks the same, same expression, not a lot of emotion one same way or Kirby. the other. They seem interchangeable in that their demeanor does not yeah. really change at all seem like unflappable almost like and that's that's perfect that's what you want you you want a guy that's not going to get rattled up there but my favorite memory of him last year was when cal raleigh went out and seemingly chewed him out you love that it was it was it was awesome i love because you don't see that from cal it reminded me of when he was in the minors a couple of years ago and his pitcher was getting squeezed and he went out, he turned around just suddenly and went from zero to 100 miles an hour on the umpire behind the plate. It was just all over him. And so it was kind of the same thing where you could see Brass started to talk. And then Cal was like, no, 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 no. I'll do the talking. As Blower said, I'll be doing all the talking here. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to talk. You listen. <laughs> and then he turned off his pitch calm thing. And, yeah, I thought that was, uh, and, and you know what? He stood there and took it. You know, he was like a like a little kid who's being scolded by his uh, by his father. He was just okay. Yes, right. Yeah. Start shaking his head, and so yeah. But I, I think he's an interesting guy. He just seems very level and solid. Like I don't see him jumping up and down or you know getting too down. He's just very. I mean, I guess that's a perfect mentality you have for a pitcher, right? Yeah, yeah. You you want him even keeled as possible. Yeah. Uh, one more before we hit the break here, Jerry. Just talking about. Uh, some adjustments that Robbie Ray and Logan Gilbert have made. You know, I know he's been working on a new pitch. You know, he came to camp. He's working on a split, as is Logan Gilbert. And, you know, both of them, uh, I will say, Logan's on film, Robbie's live. Both of them look like they put in the work on it. They're, they're good-looking pitches. And, you know, while still in, in the development stage, 
And that is kind of what Robbie is hitting on, is that you're constantly recreating yourself. You're constantly making adjustments. You're adapting to the league. You're adapting to, to how your body ages. Hmm. Well, we'll see a couple new pitches in there, and, and Logan, as is, is, uh, Lefko put on the sheet here, uh, bottom 5% in Major League Baseball and hard hit rate, mm. 45.8% of pitches hit at or above 95 miles per hour. That's not great. Mm-hmm. That's not great. You don't want to you don't want to flirt with disaster that often. So maybe some of this can uh, you know whether the additional pitch or, geez, who knows with any of these rule changes, uh, pitch clock. Maybe it helps some. We're all talking about what does it do on a negative end. Maybe it helps some guys. Maybe they're not out there thinking as long as they otherwise would, and just get up there and throw. You know. Yeah, and Logan's thoughtful guy, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe sometimes you have to turn your brain off a yeah. little bit. Be like Nuke Lelouch. Don't think, meat. Just throw. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, I instantly thought that you were going to suggest that he wear women's undergarments. If that helps him, you go, go for it. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Coming up, could Dave Canales' departure lead to a quarterback following him as well? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up in uh, a little less than 15 minutes, the GM of your Seattle Seahawks, John Schneider, will join us here in person live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center, episode one of his uh, 10-week stint. He's doing an extended stay with us. He's doing a residency, as they call it in Vegas, Dave, <laughs> with, uh, with us uh, every Thursday at 4 o'clock. We'll be speaking with John Schneider through uh, up until the first night of the NFL draft. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, today is the first first appearance of John. So make sure you tune in for that coming up at the top of the hour. Meanwhile, some news around the Seahawks that doesn't uh, pertain to him specifically is the departure of their quarterback coach, Dave Canales, who's been here through the entire Pete Carroll era, uh, has moved on to Tampa Bay to be their offensive coordinator. And some people speculating, well, he's the reason that Geno was who he was last year. And now that he's leaving, maybe maybe Geno's going to follow him to Tampa. And I I would be surprised if that happened, but you never know. Uh, because currently they, they don't have a great quarterback situation. Tom Brady calling it a career. So currently they have uh, Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask are their uh, options at quarterback. So... A, either he goes there and works some of the same voodoo he did here with Gino, or they bring somebody else in. But is there any part of you that's worried about that or think that's a reality that Gino's going to follow him to Tampa Bay? No, I don't. It's funny. I didn't even think that. I didn't even consider it. Yeah, I saw some people on Twitter like, oh, is worried that, that, is he getting, that makes perfect sense. They don't have a quarterback. He knows him. He can, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I guess it's not like crazy because he's going there, obviously Tom Brady departing and retiring. So, uh, yeah, seemingly the guy who has the, the keys to the car knows how to get Gino going and have his best you know, a career year for, for Gino in his 10th year, I guess you could draw that conclusion, but I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, we talked, I said, Dave Canales was the coach of the year when we did our little honors thing that we did for, for the Seahawks. But I don't know. I thought at that time I was thinking, well, I wonder how much of it is offensive coordinator. And then also Pete, just the way Pete and Pete's not, going to talk to him about his steps or where he releases the ball or anything like that. It's just that I think the mentality of calming down on the field and 
giving him the right tools and running the right offense to make it a little bit easier for him. But we'll, you know, we'll ask John. You know, is this how, how big of a deal is this? And I'm sure he'll say, anytime you lose a coach like that, that's really good. It's it's tough. But what if he went? Doesn't mean anything. We could throw anybody in that spot. Dave Canales was terrible. <laughs> yeah. You could have done it, Dave. I wouldn't know if you were sitting here. We hardly saw the guy. <laughs> no, he's he's a good he's a good coach. There's no question. But that's the kind of thing that happens. And it's also uh, it's kind of a compliment to you, the fact that you know if you have a staff that nobody's you know, robbing your, your player or your coaches, it's probably means they're not great. So, yeah, then that's always happened with, with Pete, you know, going back to, you know, Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn. Yeah, Daryl Bevel. Daryl Bevel, yep. Yeah, he, uh, he was a popular punching bag out here. But I tell you, you, you look at the, where that offense ranked all the years he was here. Where did I see Shoddy? I think Shoddy was he in just Dallas. Got, yeah, he just, got a, he just got a gig. Didn't he? Did he get a new? Yeah, we were just talking about him. What do you remember, Lefko, where he went? Schottenheimer. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, I so I was it. I was in the down in Dallas for the preseason game, and I didn't. Yeah, I had Cowboys. forgotten. What's that? You're right, Cowboys. Yeah, so I'd forgotten about you know the fact that he had signed there, and he came over and was talking to all the scouts and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I, I think I, I just didn't draw that conclusion, which maybe is maybe that's what I really think. I think. Deep down inside, it kind of made me sort of search of, like, how do I feel about this Geno thing? I feel like I'm, like, 95% sure that he's going to sign back here. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like he is, too. I don't. I think he's got more value here than he does elsewhere. I think they know him better. They've got more certainty about what he's going to do in the future, where I could see we've talked about this before. If you're an opposing GM, yeah, we need a quarterback, and, man, he had a great season, but – is this really him? I mean, look at who he was every year prior to this. There'd be more skepticism from yeah. the outside, I would think, well, uh, versus the guys that are around him every moment of sure. every day during the season. I, I think it's a great point. I think the other thing, though, is if you're Gino, why would you go anywhere else? I mean, it, it was. I mean, unless the pay is so ridiculously more yeah. somewhere else, this is the the team that gave you a shot, and they really did. I mean. You know, and and we'll talk to John about this. This time last year, they thought Russell Wilson was going to be their quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so well, and John told us that Gino was talking to him about going to the CFL. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and they had those kinds of conversations. I mean, for Gino to open up to John and say, "Man, I'm thinking about you know going up there. At least I'll get reps." Yeah. You know, um, then I, I feel like it's a it's a special connection here. So all the stuff on the outside that whether it's something that that Gino tweets, which I thought was nice what Moyer said. You know, he just is telling people that he's a very confident guy and he can be uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you, offensive I'm coordinator. I can do everything. Yeah. I'm just letting you know, Dave, I've got a lot of belief in me. Well, that's all right. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that, you know, we talk about on social media, especially of, of bragging, you know, yeah. putting it out there like I'm this and that. But you know, he's just being very matter of fact. If you look at it that way, he probably is. He probably is good. I mean, having sat... Because like Paul said, as a backup quarterback, and this is what I've always said, I think it's the hardest position in the NFL. Because if you're a good one, you have to be ready to play every single game. You suffer the disappointment of not, you prep just like the the starter. And then you go in and you don't get to go play. Yeah. I mean, those meetings and all the film and all that notes and everything that you take, if that wasn't paid off by me getting to play, I wouldn't have been in the NFL very long. I I would I hated that. I mean, that part of it was cool when you got a chance to go out and play. 
But And then you go back and think, man, I made that play because of my prep, my study, everything. You don't get paid off as a backup quarterback. So I've, I don't doubt that he could he could be I don't know what level he could be an offensive coordinator whether it's my <laughs> my son's flag football well, team. Well, he said or, any level. Yeah, yeah but I, but what is reality? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, I, but just I, expressing confidence. I'm going to tweet out during the break. I could I could dominate ratings in any radio market in this country. Well, I just statement. I think that's true. Just, <laughs> just. A, I think that's true. I think, I think you're the most professional <laughs> at your at what you do now. If I were to say that, that would be something different. But, uh, but no, I, I just don't. I, I'm, it, it caused me to kind of tap into what do I really think? I really think that Gino is going to be the quarterback here, yeah. and I don't see any kind of problem between uh, between the, him and the Seahawks, considering they're the ones that gave him the shot. Well, we'll we'll ask the man who's going to be uh, pulling the strings as he has been for years and years here. The GM of your Seattle Seahawks, John Schneider, is going to join us live in person here from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. Coming up next, it's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710.